This morning we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through verse 35. Listen now, once again, to the reading of God's holy word. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. <clears throat> o gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks that you have given us your word, that you have revealed your truth to us, that we don't have to guess about who you are and who we are and why you've created us and what you have called us to do. And so as we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray that your Spirit would be with us to give us understanding and that your Spirit would go forth with your Word as it is proclaimed that would find within our hearts that rich, fertile soil that will bring about a great and abundant fruit for your glory. We ask now for your blessing upon your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we've been considering the Olivet Discourse, you know that Jesus has been answering two key questions that the disciples uh, had asked Him back in verse 3. When and what? When will these, th- will these things be? In reference to Jesus saying that the temple was going to be destroyed and not one stone would be left upon another. And then what would be the signs of Christ's coming and of the end of the age? Now it seems that with these two questions, the disciples were aligning the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem with the end of the age and the coming of the Messiah in judgment. But Jesus has been showing throughout this discourse up to this point that the two incidents are not one and the same event. Those we considered before, that the destruction of uh, Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD is certainly a precursor to the final judgment to come. And Jesus has given general signs that occur in every age that point toward the coming of the end. And He's given some very specific signs for the disciples and those of their generation as they look for God's judgment that will come upon the Jews for the rejection of Jesus. And he's also given some cataclysmic signs that will happen just before the end of the age. And these signs, when they happen, will bring great fear and terror upon the hearts of those who have rejected Jesus. But they will also be a great sign of hope and encouragement for those who do believe in him. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus begins to move away from the signs 
to now giving warnings to the disciples to be ready and alert for coming judgment. And these warnings are for the disciples and for their generation, but they're also for us as well. They're warnings about the coming judgment upon the Jews and the destruction of Jerusalem, and they're warnings to us about the second coming of Christ at the end of the age when He will come to judge all the earth. First, Jesus, before He gets to those warnings, tells a parable. And the purpose of this parable is to assure the disciples of the reality that judgment is surely coming. It's not a a threat an empty thread, it's not a false alarm. It's truly coming. And so they ought to be ready when it comes. In verse 32, Jesus says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Remember that a parable is an illustration that uses a common uh, earthly object or event to, to teach a greater spiritual truth. And so here the lesson is drawn from a fig tree. Now if you can remember back uh, just a few chapters, uh, back in chapter 21, uh, which actually of, of Matthew's Gospel, which is actually something that happened uh, earlier, this same day where Jesus has been giving the discourse here in Matthew 24. So this has been one long day. Well, earlier in that day, when Jesus and His disciples were uh, headed into Jerusalem from Bethany, Jesus had cursed a fig tree. Because He looked at it, it had leaves on it, and He was expecting to find fruit on it, and there was no fruit. And of course, the cursing of this fig tree was a picture, this barren fig tree was a picture of the spiritual state of Israel. They had this outward appearance of godliness and fruitfulness, but inside they were dead and they were without faith and they had no real fruit. But we glean from that, that event that happened earlier in this same day, that the tree, the fig tree, didn't have fruit on it, but it did have leaves on it. And so this tells us that this was in spring. It was in the springtime of the year. Now a fig tree in this uh, area, in in Palestine, is somewhat unusual in that it's one of the few trees in the region that loses its leaves in the winter time as opposed to where we are where most of the trees uh, end up losing their leaves uh, in the winter time. And so when the colder temperatures of winter have passed and the warmer uh, spring temperatures come, well then the branch of the fig tree becomes soft and tender because of the sap swelling from within and it forces the branches to sprout buds and then eventually the leaves begin to appear. And so, it's springtime. Now once the leaves have appeared on the trees, one thing is clear and certain. And again, because based on the natural progression of things, a spring has come, and also it means that summer is on its way. And so the appearance of leaves on the fig tree can be used as a sign that summer with its warmer weather is coming. 
Now again, we can easily observe the same thing in, in our area with the many trees that are even now beginning to lose their leaves. We know that in the spring, those leaves will come back and it'll be an indication that spring has, has come and that summer is on its way. But note the emphasis isn't summer is here, but only that summer is near. That is, it's close, and we know it's coming, but it's not here yet. Now, we may not want to be thinking about the coming of summer just yet. It seems like (laughs) summer has just ended for us. But Jesus is drawing attention to the natural progression of the fig tree through the different seasons. Again, every year the fig tree goes through the same cycle, losing leaves in the fall and winter, sprouting new leaves in the spring, bearing fruit in the summer and the early fall, and then losing leaves as winter approaches. And it goes through that cycle over and over and over again. So that each step of the way, you can, again, look at the tree and know what season it is. And not only know what season it is, but what season is coming next. This is science according to God's perfect design in creation. But Jesus doesn't leave it as a science lesson. The science and natural order of the life cycle of the fig tree is a picture of a greater spiritual truth and reality. And it's this truth that Jesus wants the disciples to to learn from this parable. So, what is that truth then? Well, Jesus explains the lesson in verse 33. So, you also... When you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Now, when we just read this verse initially, it seems pretty straightforward. But as we examine it more closely, what Jesus is saying, well, suddenly several questions arise. Note, for example, the words, when you see all these things. Now, already in this discourse, Jesus has spoken of many things. He's spoken of uh, signs and events. And so what things is Jesus talking about here? What does he mean by all these things? Well, there are a few possibilities. Is he referring to what he just previously mentioned in verses 29 through verse 31 in relation to the, the cataclysmic events that will precede the, and mark the end of the age? Or is he referring to all that he's mentioned so far, beginning with verse 4 up to verse 31? So, is he speaking about all those things? Or is he speaking of just the signs related to the destruction of Jerusalem? Both the general and the specific signs. And so what we find here in verses 4 through verse 28... And so what are these things that Jesus is talking about? Now certainly this is one of the challenges of of understanding the Olivet Discourse because it could be taken in a variety of different ways. But if we try to unpack it a little bit, we'll see what we discover. Well first, if we think about it, is Jesus referring to what he just mentioned in verse 29, verse 31, about those signs that would happen in conjunction with the appearance of Christ? Well, probably not. Again, because those events that Jesus predicts in those verses aren't signposts that the end is near or that the end is coming, 
but they are declaring that the end is here. Right? And so the parable that Jesus is, is referring to here is saying that, look, it's not talking about summer. Summer isn't here yet when you see those leaves. But summer is coming. And so when you see these things, and he's tying it to that, to that parable. And so it can't be what, he's, what he talked about in verse 29 through verse 31. Right, the darkness and then the sudden light with the glorious appearing of the Lord, that actually is the end being ushered in. It's not a sign saying that the end is coming. It's saying the end is here. Well, secondly, I want to note the shift in language, again, as to who is going to be doing the seeing. Now, uh, here... Jesus says, so you also, when you see all these things. Now, this is a little bit different. In verse 30, in reference to those things, those events at the end time, Jesus said, and they will see the Son of Man coming. Right? So that there he's speaking of a future generation. Those who will be, be alive at the end of the age will see these things happening. And then back before that, right, that was a shift even from verse 15. When Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation. And again, speaking of the disciples and their generation seeing the Roman army uh, entering into Jerusalem and, and desecrating the temple in 70 A.D. And so it begins with you. When you see these things, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the Romans coming in and, and desecrating the temple, and then in, in uh, verse 30 it's, well, when they see the Son of Man coming some future generation. And now he's back in verse 33, when you see all these things. That is, Jesus is speaking of the things that will be seen by that current generation. And he further emphasizes this by first saying, you also, when you see these things. right? So, so he's emphasizing the fact that you're going to see this. You're going to see these things. When you see these things, he's speaking of the things that will be seen by the disciples and by their generation. Things coming in the near future. Well, thirdly, we have the reference, these things. And these things, again, most likely refer to the signs that Jesus mentioned in verses 4 through verse 28 including the general signs that occur in every age up to the end, as well as the specific signs related to the coming destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Now, many commentators make a connection with this phrase, these things. That's repeated here a few times in this passage. And the first time it was mentioned was in the original question of the disciples in verse 3, in relation to the destruction of the temple. Right? They asked, when will these things be? Jesus just said that the temple is going to be, uh, you know, not one stone is going to be left upon another, uh, upon another. So when will these things be? And then the second time when we see this phrase is here in verse 33, and then it comes again in verse 34. These things, 
And so it seems that these are linked together. And what links them uh, together goes back to the disciples' original question regarding the destruction of the temple. And so Jesus is referring to the things that the disciples and their generation will see leading up to the fall of Jerusalem. But there's another issue in the second part of verse 33. And this depends on the translation that you may have in front of you. Now some translations have, know that he is near, while the New King James and many others have, know that it is near. Now he would indicate the Son of Man, and thus that would refer to the end of the age. So that would include verses 29 through verse 31. But it would refer to this to the destruction of the temple and the judgment upon Israel. And the problem has to do with translating the verb to be, right? It's, it's in the third person a singular. In the Greek, it's the third person singular, but there's no gender, right? It's, it's not feminine, it's not masculine, it's, or, or neuter. And so technically, both translations, he and, and it, can be correct, but we have to, again, look at the context. The context, as we've seen with these things, is the events leading up to 70 AD. So it is perhaps a better translation referring to the judgment coming upon Jerusalem and upon the temple. But again, if you remember that what happened in 70 AD was a precursor to the judgment that will come at the end of the age, well, when he will return, we see that perhaps the wording is maybe flexible. Well, how does all this relate, though, to the parable and the lesson of the fig tree. Well, basically, Jesus is saying that just as the leaves on the fig tree are a clear and certain indicator of summer's coming, so when you see these things, you know that what has been predicted is clearly and certainly coming. As surely as summer is coming, the time of judgment upon Jerusalem and upon the temple is coming. But not immediately. It's coming and even at the doors, though in this case, at the doors turns out to be within the next 40 years. So it's coming, but it's not necessarily imminent. Well, it's almost as if Jesus knew that this parable wasn't going to be enough to convince the disciples that the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was a very near reality, right? He's trying to warn them. Look, this is this is truly coming. You can just as look, you can look at the the fig tree and know that summer is coming. When you see these things happening, you know exactly what's coming. You know that judgment is coming. But to eclipse any doubt that the disciples may struggle with, Jesus now goes to state specifically that these things will indeed take place. In verse 34, Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So Jesus begins here, Surely I say to you, this is, is Jesus' usual preference to saying something of great, important, uh, of great importance and significance. And with all sincerity and truthfulness, literally it's, Amen, so be it. I say to you, Right? There's a sense of, of certainty and assurance there. He's about to speak certain truth to them, 
And he's going to be very clear and very specific. But then we come to another problem area in this discourse. Understanding this generation. Again, there are various ideas. It could refer to Jesus' contemporaries. That is, the current generation of people. It could also refer to a race or, or kind of people uh, marked by a, a similar characteristic, like the Jewish race or, race or a, a type of people. And certainly it's used in both ways, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Mark 8, verse 38, we read of Jesus saying, this adulterous and sinful generation. And there he's referring to unbelievers throughout the ages, to those who deny Christ. Or in Luke 17, verse 25, Jesus says that the Son of Man must first suffer and be rejected at the hands of this generation. And there he means the current generation of Jews. Well, which is it? And what are the implications of its use in this context? Well, if it's taken as referring to the Jewish race or to a kind of people exclusively, well, then it pushes all these events and these things in the discourse that Jesus is talking about to the end of the age. And as we've seen, that's not supported by the context. And there are others, though, who say that it refers to the current generation, but then they also say that everything Jesus has mentioned uh, in the discourse up to this point, including the second coming, that all that had to occur before the current generation passed. But critics will then say that obviously Christ didn't return. So either generation refers to something more general, like like a race or a kind or type of people, or they might even say that Jesus was wrong. So again, which is it? Well, the solution is to be found in our key phrase, these things, from verse 33, that's repeated here in verse 34. All these things will take place before this generation passes away. And we determined that these things was restricted to the events leading up to 70 AD, but didn't include verses 29 through verse 31. And Lord willing, next week, when we look at the next uh, passage following, we'll see how that distinction is made even further. And of course, those were not even... Uh, in verse 29 and 31, they were not really signs at all. right? They were a sign, a sign points to something that's coming, that's ahead. Well, here, those things were actually saying that the end is now here. So the context tells us that Jesus must be referring to his contemporaries in relation to the events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. So what does verse 34 mean then? Well, Jesus is truly and sincerely telling his disciples that they and their current generation will not completely die off until all the signs leading up to and including the destruction of Jerusalem will be accomplished. And this is a solemn promise and a guarantee. As surely guaranteed as the coming of summer... When you see the green leaves on the fig tree, judgment is coming. Now, as if that wasn't enough to convince them that this is truly coming, 
Jesus goes even further and He gives them really the ultimate guarantee. In verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will by no means pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. Right? This is true. Right? It is the, the heaven and the earth will pass away and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. We see that in the book of Revelation. But that isn't Jesus' point of emphasis here. His point of emphasis is this. See, in our creaturely finite minds, the heavens and the earth are really the most stable, the lasting and the sure things that we know of. I mean, other than God Himself, of course. Right? You think about it. Generations have, have come and gone on this earth, and they will continue to come and go up to the end. A time has, has come and gone and has changed. History has happened. And even natural disasters come and go, and, and they'll change the face of the earth, but the earth remains. And the heavens have remained. And so in all that God created, the heavens and the earth remain a durable and reliable constant. And it's, it's not going anywhere. At least, again, this is from our perspective and not counting God. The heavens and the earth are always with it. They were here for our great-great-grandparents. They're going to be here for our great-great-grandchildren. And yet, they will pass away. That is, there is an end to them, even as there was a beginning. And Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3 that the heavens and the earth and, and all the elements of which they consist will melt in fervent heat. They'll be destroyed. They'll be gone. But to make his point of certainty here, Jesus goes on to say that though the heavens and the earth are going to pass away, these things which seem to us permanent, though they will pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. And so Jesus is comparing the seeming durability and reliability of the heavens and the earth with His own words, including what He's just said about coming judgment. Now this is nothing essentially new. And in the Old Testament, we see the same kind of comparison. For example, in Psalm 102, Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. That God will be the same, the earth will have an end. Isaiah 51 verse 6, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in, the, in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. And then in Isaiah 40 verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Right? So this comparison has been made before that this earth and the heavens 
To us it seems constant, but they will pass away. But God, His righteousness and His Word will never pass away. But here's the difference with what we see in the Old Testament and what we see Jesus saying here. Because Jesus, in making this statement, when He says, My words will by no means pass away, Jesus is making a very clear and authoritative declaration about Himself and about who He is. His words and even He Himself are as God's words even as God is. Because Jesus Christ is God incarnate. It's because Jesus is truly God His words will stand forever, even outlasting the existence of heaven and earth. And of course, when we read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 1, all things were created through Him, and by His Word, that is Jesus Christ. And so He was there before the heavens and the earth. Through Him all things were created, and He and His Word will continue on even after the heaven and the earth pass away. Now this is a great promise. And it's a guarantee and a confirmation that what Jesus has just told His disciples will most certainly and assuredly come to pass. He's declaring Himself to be God. And that what He speaks has the same power and the authority as what God speaks. And His words will not pass away. So when He says that judgment is coming, they can be assured and guaranteed that yes, judgment is coming. And so they've had this certainty. Jesus has given this certainty and this assurance to the disciples. He's used an example from nature. That just as they know that the the heat of summer is coming when the fig tree brings forth its leaves, well, so too they know that the heat of judgment is going to come upon Jerusalem when they see these things happening and these signs being fulfilled that He has mentioned to them. They've had, even beyond that, that natural example in the parable, they've had the certainty based on the promise That their generation will not pass away until these signs are fulfilled. It doesn't say that that they're all going to still be alive, but those that will remain till that day will see these things. And now He gives them the assurance based on the everlasting truth of God's infallible Word. That these things will in fact come to pass. That judgment will come. And so if the disciples don't understand now, and if they don't believe what Jesus is saying here, well then they may not ever believe. Because He can't make it any more clear. God's judgment is coming, is coming upon Israel because they've rejected Christ the Messiah. And as He's described here, it will be a most terrifying time. But it's coming. And so the disciples ought to be ready. And they ought to be prepared. 
so that when they see these things, they might escape. And again, that's the whole reason he mentioned to him before, uh, earlier when he said, I'm telling you these things beforehand so you know exactly what to do when you see these things happening. So that's what it means for the disciples and for their current generation. But what does all this mean for us? The parable and these assurances that Jesus gives to his disciples about the coming judgment against the Jews, what's the application here for us? Well, we're now waiting patiently for Christ's return at the end of the age. And some of the signs that Jesus promised leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem will also come in every generation. And we we looked at that as well. And that isn't just the wars and the rumors of wars and the famines and the pestilence, but also things like the persecution of God's people. The trials and the tribulations that we will face and endure. These are the things that we will endure. But just as Jesus showed his disciples that summer is coming, that the heat of God's righteous judgment against those who rejected him and put him to death is surely coming, so he now shows us with great certainty that he will return again at the end of the age as the righteous judge of all the earth. And He will set everything right. And He will judge the wicked. And He will vindicate the righteous. And the greatest assurance that Jesus has given to us regarding this is His revealed Word. The Bible. Our only infallible rule for faith and life. Brothers and sisters, God's Word is true. And it stands firm, it's everlasting, and it won't be shaken. And the promises that it contains, both the promises of of rich and abundant blessings that we certainly don't deserve, as well as the promises of God's righteous judgment coming upon the sin and sinners of this world. These promises most assuredly will come about. Beloved of God, truly may the Lord graciously empower you by His Spirit to cling to these promises and to cling to this certain truth that they reveal. Not only making you wise unto salvation and giving you a sure and certain hope in the midst of trials and struggles, but also that you might be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ and the judgment on the last great day. When He will call all to Himself. When we all will have to give an account of what we have done in this life, whether good or bad, and stand before His judgment seat. Let us be ready for that day by turning our hearts to Him humbling ourselves before Him, confessing our sins, and drawing near to Him, calling upon His name in faith, that He alone will be glorified in us and through us. Let's pray.
Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for your word and for the great truth that it contains, for the promises. And you promise many good things and many blessings, but you also promise that there will be hardship and trial and persecution and that there will be a righteous judgment. And Lord, we do pray that you, your Spirit would be at work even now in each of our hearts, drawing us all closer to yourself, impressing these great truths upon our hearts so that we would be ready and prepared for that time of judgment because it's coming. We know it's coming. You have assured us that it's coming. And may we approach that day And even as we anxiously await that day, may we do so not filled with fear and trembling, but with great joy and gladness, knowing that because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has done for us, that we will be free from condemnation, and that the just judgment that we deserve on that day, Christ, our Savior, has already paid the penalty for us when He died on the cross for our sins. What a glorious truth that is. And so we pray, Lord, that You would truly draw us all closer to Yourself, acknowledging these things, that we would call upon Your name in faith as we seek to glorify and worship You throughout all our lives until that great day comes. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.